sometimes I wake up in the morning, I look at the mirror, I look at myself, I, I tell myself, today is a good day. I feel good about myself. Yes, I've done all right. Not bad. And I'm ready to face the world. I'm excited. But there are some days, I look at the mirror, I look at myself, I say, it's a tough day. I blew it yesterday with my words, with my actions, and I could have done this thing or I shouldn't have done this thing. Or I just look at my life and I think, hey, I think I don't have that courage or I don't have the ability to just face the coming days. I don't know whether you have faced the same similar experience like me. You have similar experience like me. Or you always have a good day. And the question now for us is that those times when, when we face down, when we have blew it, how do we pick ourselves up again? How do we find that strength, continue to able to just face what is the challenges ahead? To continue to, to live and do what God has intended for us. And this is what this uh, book of Ephesians is going to talk about here in second chapter. That they will give us that, 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 that balance, that, that strength from within, that we are God's masterpiece. That whatever come may in our decisions in our life, that we can still face the challenges. So, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. Pastor Kokfai has started off in chapter 1. Let me just give you an overview of, of this book here. This book here is, is not, from, uh, it's not re- written just for individual church where a specific problem, but it's more of a general letter for the church in Ephesus as well as around that, that particular region. Okay. Let me give you an overview, the breakdown of the book here. Very simple. Okay. They are divided into two parts here. Six chapter, three chapter, three chapter. The first three chapters talk about the positions of the believers. Chapter one to three, it's about our beliefs, what we believe, theory part, theological part, and the changes that God has made in our lives and how what a life in Christ looked like. And then the chapter four to six, it's a practical aspect here about our behavior, practical applications, about the choices we make in light of who we are in Christ and talk about our how we live for Christ. So this is a very quick overview about this. And when we talk about God's masterpiece, we are talking about God's um, working in our lives. We are created as an image of God here. You see, God created human beings, every one of us in His image. He gave us something that He don't give to any part of the creations. The ability to make moral decisions, ready to to decide, to create, to relate. All this is God is very specially given to us as human beings, His image. However, because of sin, this image has been marred. Marred by sin. That's why there's a lot of issues and evil and, and a problem in this world. But when Christ died on the cross for all of us and His resurrections, this image has been restored. And therefore, we are become the God's masterpiece here. And this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the good news. The book of Ephesians is written to who? Believers or non-believers? Written to believers. But yet Paul dedicated the whole chapter 2 to talk about this good news, this gospel. And this gospel is important for us because you need to know the gospel, continue to be reinforced with the gospel in order to lift out the life that God has called us to live. So whether you are a believer today or you are already a believer for some time, God's gospel is always applicable each day. 
And some of these things that I've shared with you, some of you have heard it many times. Some of you, it's first time. It's okay. But I pray that whether first time or many times, the truth of God will fall, will not just be on your head, but will sink down into your heart to make a big change in you. So let's look together about what is this gospel is all about here. And I'm grateful today uh, because I have a few Bible teachers that I want to give credit to, like Warren Wisby and Tim Kellers and many others that I've read that helped me to come up with some of this uh, outlined and as well come up with some of the illustrations and explanations. So first of all, if you have a book of Ephesians, you turn to it in your Bible or you can look up there. We're going to look at the first problem here, that is the sin that is at work within us. And later on, I'll talk about how God is at work for us, in us, and among us. Let's look at the chapter 2. Sin work within us. And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit which is at work, in those who are disobedient. All of us also live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul is saying here, you, referring to the believers there at Ephesians, you, it's not just the believers, and so they describe the situation of all of us. What happened to us? Number one, Dead in transgression. Dead here means it's talking about separation. When we die, our spirit is separated from our body. That's death. Here's death, not just physical death, but death in terms of we are separated from God. Totally why? Because of our transgressions. God has marked out certain boundaries for us to live. We have transgressed those boundaries. At the same time, we have sinned. We have chosen to go against what God's original design is all about here. God's design for us, we chose, no, I want to do things our own way. And how we do it is that continually we'll be following. If you look at the word that followed, what? Followed three things that was underlined there. Number one, the ways of the world. The world system, how the world system, it influences us every day. When you look at the newspaper, when you read stories, when you read movies, when we watch movies in our news, in our social medias, in our daily dealings with people in the and in the, in the schools as well as in the marketplace, we are experiencing all this. Not all the world systems are bad. Many of them are good because we are created in the image of God. Teach us to be good. However, there are some of their teaching, we are influenced by it consciously or unconsciously, are totally against what God's design is all about here. And then we are, on, we are living in this, we are constantly under the pressure to follow its way. Then the next thing, Followed what? The king, the ruler of the kingdom. He's talking about the spiritual realm. Pastor Kokfaya mentions the physical realm is as real as the spiritual realm. Just, that, just because you do not see it does not mean it is not there. There is a ruler behind the world system here. Who is that? Satan himself. That's why you see the evil progressing. Not just evil within us, but within outside that is constantly. And it's very real. It is working through the world. It's working to make us go against what God has for us. His plan, kill, steal, and destroy so that we will ultimately lead to our destruction. That is what evil Satan is trying to do. And the third one that we followed our 
followed is the sinful nature. What is this sinful nature here? The nature within us that makes us very self-centered. Very self-centered. It's my way. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this about our nature. Let me read to you what he said here. He said, our nature, by the corruptions of the first sin, is so deeply curved in on itself that it is Oh, not only bent on the best gift of God towards itself and enjoying them, but rather even using God Himself in order to gain these gifts. But it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly, so carefully and viciously seeking all things, even God for its own sake. In other words, by all means, I want to use everything, including God, to serve who? Myself. Myself. We just want to serve myself here. What is it in for me? And how it manifests, I believe it manifests in two ways. One way is that it can be very immoral, very cruel. As long as it's my way, by all means, I can get it. It is good for me. The end justifies the mean. My needs and my needs come first. Jesus mentioned this in a parable of the prodigal son. Remember the youngest son came to the father, I don't feel, I don't care how you feel, I'm going my way. Give me my inheritance, he went his way, he lived a wild life. That is the sinful nature all for himself. However, the sinful nature also manifests itself in a different way, by being moral. Huh? Being good and moral, yes, that is what the, second, uh, the, the older son. Being good and moral, so that what is for his own sake, that I feel good about myself and I can look down on other people and then make a name for myself that I'm all right. I'm all right. It manifests itself in both ways here. And I want to illustrate this as I heard these illustrations here from the movie Rocky. How many of you have watched the movie Rocky? Okay, very few hands. First service got more hands. You know why? <laughs> It was made in the 70s. Okay? It was made in the 70s. It's a boxing movie. Okay? I watched it when I was uh, in, in the 80s. I watched it in the 80s, a bit later. It's about this boxing match. There's this world champion. His name is Apollo Creed. He's a world champion. And then his opponent, last minute, pulled out. So he got nobody to fight. Everything is already booked, the place, everything. So he decided that maybe I will give... And a low-ranking, a nobody boxer a chance. At least have a chance to fight and then gain publicity. So here come Rocky Balboa. He came along. He accepted the challenge. He was a small-time boxer. He was also a debt collector for the Along, for the loan shark. He came along. He trained. But he knows that he cannot win. And then the eve before the fight, somebody asked him, Why fight? When you know that you cannot win, Rocky responded, I'm going to go the distance. Why? I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I would, I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. For the first time of my life, I'm going to do it to know that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. And sometimes we can feel like this. In our hearts, we feel like we are bum. We are not good at certain things. 
We just want to do something, at least to prove to ourselves that I'm alright. That I'm, I'm, I'm alright. And that's what the older brother and some people are trying to do. They're trying to be moral and then trying to do good. At least to feel that the bad part of me is still okay. Either way, either we go the way of the cruel way, doing the things that we want to do, or the moral way, both ways can make us addictive and make us miserable. Because why? We need to more and more to prove to ourselves because ourselves, the self-centeredness is never enough. That's why if you look at this passage, Paul uses words that describe our addiction's confusion. What are the words he used here? Cravings, desires, thoughts. All these are very addictive and they become very exhausting because when we perform and perform, and guess what? It is never good enough. We will feel ourselves never good enough for ourselves. And also, worse still, it's not going to be good enough for God. And the last word of this passage is the most scary word. What is the last word here? Wrath. Okay? I thought God is good. This object of wrath here, talking about God's wrath. I thought God is good. God is loving. Why is this wrath here appear? One comment, comment, uh, commentary wrote this. You see, this wrath of God it's not an impersonal process of cause and effect. It is not God's vindictive anger, not unbridled or unrighteous revenge, or an outburst of passions. It is God's holy anger against sin and the judgment that results. What is trying to say? Because God is righteous, God is holy, and God at the same time it is just. He has planned when He makes you and I, the human being, according to His design, His purpose, when it's transgressed, it's transgressed against His original purpose, His justice has to take over and say, that, no, something is right, wrong here. There have to be, this is bad, there will be judgment, there will be wrath. And this wrath here comes upon who? Not just you, not just me, but the whole world. Every one of us, that's me. Here, that's you, here. We are all Object of God's wrath. Facing God's judgment. It is very important to know this. But this is not the main point of what Paul is trying to say here. Paul is trying to say that we need to see this. It serves as an emphasis to look at the next one, the magnitude about God's love and riches. Unless the seriousness of human beings' condition is accepted, the desperate needs of human beings for salvation will never be appreciated. Unless you see how jialat, how terrible, how down, how terrible you are, you are not going to appreciate the love that, and the mercy and God have bestowed upon you. And that's important, not just for people who do not know God, but even for us who know God, to constantly be reminded about this, about the conditions when you look at the mirror, yes, you see wonderful things. But at the same time you look at the mirror, you are, you are reminded that we have gone our own way. We are very self-centered. We deserve God's wrath. Thank God it didn't stop here. The second point, solutions here. Is that God, sin worked with us, 
But God is also doing something. God works for us. Let me read to you verse 4 to 8. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus in order that the coming age, coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man no one can boast. Turning point here is but in our helplessness, in our deserving of God's wrath, God showed us a lot of things. Number one, love. Agape. Seeking the highest good of the person that is loved. Number two, mercy. Withholding the deserved punishment. Mercy here, this word is also talking about being loyal to the, the agreement, the covenant God made with His people. Number three, His grace and kindness, unmerited, this undeserved favor God gives to us. The riches beyond our in, in imagination, He put out there incomparable, totally out of this world. His grace for us and His kindness for us. Number four, His gift. It is a gift of God. Verse uh, eight here, it is a gift of God. What is this gift? God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. And Christ sacrificed for you your salvation, your restorations, even your faith, everything, it is a gift. It has nothing to do with our behavior, our response. We are not saved because we are good enough or we are moral enough. Everything is an undeserved gift. And therefore, we should be grateful instead of boastful. Boastful, eh? That no one should boast. Why do we boast? We boast because we felt that I can do it and I did it. I deserve it. But you see that no, you don't deserve it. You can never boast that you're good enough for God. And that is another, kind, another shade of boasting here. For us to understand this, we need to go back to the ancient time. Okay, those of you, another movie, Lord of the Rings. Okay? My favourite series, Lord of the Rings. Okay? Lord of the Rings, I like it because there were many battles, correct? There are many battles. And then you see those battles, they are all standing, the, the human battles, the, the human army, and then ready to face the Uruguay or Uruguay, not Uruguay. I don't know. Those, the, whatever beast army in front. What is the name of the... the, the? Uruhai, yes. Not Uruguay, Uruguay. <laughs> Sorry, Luis Suarez. Okay, never mind. And then... Before the battle, what do they do? The general will come to the front and the general will give a speech. Who has the longest spear? We have the longest spear. Who has the longest? Who has the mightiest sword? We have the mightiest sword. Then who have the bigger army? We have the bigger... Even the army is smaller. They still say, we have the bigger army. What is the general doing? The general is boasting. Boasting in order to give them confidence to face whatever that is going to come before them. You need, we need that, that kind of boasting to give us that, okay, I can do it. 
And all of us will do the kind of boasting. Jeremiah 9 talks about what kind of boasting. Jeremiah 9 say, Let not the wise boast about their wisdom. Let not the strong boast about their strength. Let not the rich boast about their riches. Why we boast about such things? The wisdom, the strength, the riches, in order to give us confidence to face whatever challenges. And sometimes we are like rocky. We feel like we are a bum. Deep inside our failure that we cannot go enough. We need something to, be, to boast about, something to be proud about. And some of these things can come in what ways? Can come in our ability to make money, our salary. Some is in our morality. Some is in our successes. Some is in our relationship. We need these things so that we can boast about and then make us feel good to face whatever challenges. Unfortunately, it is very exhausting because it is never good enough. Never good enough for you. You know it. And worse still, it's never good enough for God. Can we boast about such things? Let's say Ephesians 6, Paul said, don't boast. Don't boast about such things. Be grateful about the gift. There's only one boasting that will end all boasting. What is that boasting? Paul said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in that Jesus Christ, His mercy, His righteousness, His goodness, His holiness. Jeremiah 9 also, the next part of that verse, it talks about, let him who boasts, boast that he knows the Lord, that the Lord is kind, the Lord is just, the Lord is righteous. Boast about what God has done for you. And that boasting will silence all the other boasting because you do not know, not need all this boasting to make you feel good because of what God has done for you. His goodness, His mercy have done for you. And what has goodness done for you? Three things here. He made you alive when you are dead. He raised you up seated you in a heavenly. Let's look at each one of them. He makes us alive. When you are dead, in sin, separated from God, God reconnect back again. Christ reconnect. He gave His life for you so that you have a life with God. He gave us that zest in power, life eternal. Secondly, He raised us up in Christ. In other words, the new power, the power that raised Christ from the right now, the power is available for you. When Christ died, rose again from the dead, where were you? Were you alive? No, none of us alive. That was more than 2,000 years ago. But then, what is Paul saying here? Raise us up. So he's not talking about physically but it's talking about positionally and spiritually. When Christ raised from the dead, when you believe in Him now, you are also raised from the dead together with Him then. The same power available for Him, the same power available for us today. Today, what is that power for? Power to overcome the challenges in life. Power to overcome sin in life. Power to serve God. Power to do His good works that He has for us. But it didn't stop there. The third one, seated us with Him in the heavenly honour. Again, we have to go back to understand the context here. During the Roman time, they also fight a lot of war and they win a lot of battles. And then the general who win those wars and battles, they'll come back in victory. Correct? Right in victory. Everybody cheered for the general. 
And then the emperor who is up there on the throne asked the general, come, come, sit next to me. What is that? Sitting next to the emperor means it's a place of honor. So, Christ said, right now, you and I, you believe in Jesus Christ, you are seated right now with God. Legally, positionally, spiritually, in the heavenly, a place of honor. Not because of what you have done, because the battle is not fought by us, the battle is fought by Christ. Christ deserves that honor. But when you believe in Him, you share that same honor. His righteousness is right now placed on you all because of what Christ has done. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, God is so delighted in you when He looks at you. He accepts you, He honors you, He rejoices over you the way He does over His own Son, Jesus Christ. In God's eye, you and I are no longer bums. In God's eye, you and I are no longer sinner. He accepts us. Just now we sang the song, If God is for us, who can be, who can ever stop us? If God is with us, who can stand against us? What's the song about? It's about this. What Christ has done, God is for us. So with that, when I look at the mirror, when I don't feel good, when I look at myself, I know that there are weaknesses. I know that there are challenges. I know that there are still sin. I know that I still follow the world. I know that I am still the object of God's wrath, but yet I take courage because I know Christ's accomplishments become my accomplishment. His life become my life. His power become my power. His honour become my honour. His authority becomes my authority because of what you have done. This is what God has done for you and I. And this is what is so marvellous about this. The gospel, Tim Keller have these definitions about the gospel. Let me read to you. It's not in the PowerPoint. Let me read to you. For we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believed. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. God saw our hearts to the bottom and loved us to the skies. That's so great. We need to see how jalat, how terrible we are, how low we are, to appreciate what God has done, to, to see how much He has raised us up. And that will give us the, the strength to face whatever that is coming before us. Therefore, I encourage you, don't look down on yourself. Look at the mirror. Be proud of what God has done for you. Yes, sin has worked in your heart, but God has do a greater work in you. But He didn't stop there. His work is one to continue to work through us. Verse 10, for, connecting the earlier, earlier part there, for, Salvation is not God, man's work. Salvation is God's work. For we are God's handiwork. And I, uh, NLT, another version put, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you like to go to museum to look at art masterpiece? Okay? We won't say no. <laughs> Some of us like it. Okay? And usually the masterpiece are meant to be what? Just admire. Just admire, Greg. God created us, yes, to be admired for the other people to see, all of us to see this is God's creation for His glory. But at the same time, it's not just to be admired only, but also to do something, to do good works. To do good works. We are God's masterpiece to do good works. What is this good works? Paul explained later on in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. To live the godly life that God wants you to live. To build God's community. To be united at one. To use your tongue to build people up instead of tear people down. To love people. To submit to one another. To equip God's people for, uh, for the, to, to grow towards maturity. All these are good works. And also to build godly family relationship. Spousal relationship. Father... Parents and children, children and parents, relationship between employers and employees. And with your work, you work with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your hands. All these are good works. You and I, we are God. So enjoy. In the church, in the world, in your home, in your school, in the workplace, all works that is worthy of the Lord or all works that reflect the character of God, they are good works because you are reflecting His faithfulness, His kindness, His goodness, His love, His holiness. When you get along well in your marriage, get along well with your parents in a church family, you are doing that good works. When you serve God in a church or in the community, you are doing the good works. When you praise and affirm your subordinates or your colleagues or your domestic helpers, you are doing the good works when you appreciate people, when you clean up the masses, when you help your friends, when you pray for them, when you say words or write words of encouragement to them. These are all good works. When you help people in need, these are all good works. And you and I, we are called to do these good works. So, today, when you go back, look at the mirror again. Tell yourself, I'm no bum. Yes, I was a bum. Yes, I'm terrible, object of God's wrath. But God has raised me up. But don't stop there. I'm going to represent Christ to do some good work today. Every day look at the mirror and say, I'm going to do. And that is so helpful for that. I do that regularly when I don't feel good about myself, when I realize that I need to face challenges. I always affirm myself of this, of what God has done for me. Listen to what John Wesley said. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he said this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all people you can, as long as ever you can. In other words, all the time. Because you're God's masterpiece. God created you so special to do something beautiful. To do something beautiful here. So sin worked within us, but God works for us and God works through us. But it didn't stop there. It's not just about individual. God's concern is about the whole humanity. He wants to be the, 
He wants to unite the whole humanity as one. That's when we go to the final point here. God works, God's work among us. Among us. There's separation in the humanity. But here you see the God's power. God's power is that people who outside the church, they never get along, the Gentiles and the Jews, but they are now living together in peace. That's the point here in verse 11 onwards. Let me read to you. Therefore, because you are God's workmanship for good works, therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. Gentiles means non-Jews. And you were called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision. What is circumcision? Circumcision is a covenant between God's people, the Jews, and Him, that they belong to Him. Special group of people. So anybody who don't fall into this category, they are the uncircumcised, they are the Gentiles. You and I, we are Gentiles, unless you are a Jew. Yeah, and, and they are... And then in verse 12, say, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, in other words, God's people, foreigners to the covenant, the agreement God had for the promise. And how did Paul describe the Gentiles? They are without hope, they are without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ones who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Brought near. God is going to bring these two groups of people together. Verse 14, For He Himself is our peace, bringing together, Make two or one and destroy the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing in his flesh, in his body, in his sacrifice, that is his flesh here, the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, the sacrifice, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and also peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. There is a hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews despise the Gentiles. They look down on them. What is the division point? Here it mentioned what? The law. Why is it? The law was meant to be good. Yes, they followed the law and therefore they are so proud of the law they look down on people who don't have the law. What the Jew did, did was, God gave them a good gift. They elevated the good gift to become the ultimate thing and used that to look down, to compare to the other people and look down on other people as a basis to judge other people. And that's how they get their identity. That's the Jew. Today, what about us? Do we do that? Yes, we do that. In our various culture, we elevate different things. Some people elevate the skin color. I'm darker than you. I'm fairer than you. Some people elevate their work ethics. I'm more hardworking than you. You are too chill. Some people elevate their ability, their, their, their individualistic versus their two community. And if you are very punctual, the guy, and you tend to look down on people who are not so punctual. If you are very hardworking, what do you do? You look down on people who think that they are lazy. Why do we do that? To make food, feel good ourselves. We elevate certain gifts in order to compare and then to make food, we are make ourselves good. And then that, that is dividing ourselves, so-called that particular division between ourselves and the people outside. God say, I'm going to put an end to all this comparison. 
I'm going to create one humanity out of two. How does he do it? He do it through Christ, through the gospel. You look at the last verse here, the second last verse. He preached the gospel to who? Those who are far. Who are the people who are far? The Gentile, the, Jew, the, the non-Jews, without the law, the so-called the immoral people. At the same time, he preached the gospel to who? The near, the Jews, those who have the law, those who are so-called moral. Whether you think that you are moral or immoral, everybody needs the gospel of peace. Everybody are equally sinful in God's sight. Whether you think that you are righteous or you think that you are immoral, both are equally lost sinners. The gospel even things out. Everybody is in need of the gospel. It humbles us. It takes away comparison. That's why the gospel is the answer towards racial discriminations. You don't discriminate people or segregation or bigotry or any form of strife because we look at ourselves, I'm equally bad as you. We all equally jealous. We need the grace of God. So I don't, no point for me to put myself above you. And guess what? How can all this be accomplished? Just now we talk about the wrath of God. At the cross where Jesus Christ hung, from noon to three o'clock, there was a period of darkness when Jesus Christ hung. Why was there darkness? Because Jesus was taking all our sins on His shoulder. All our sins were upon Him. And therefore, the full wrath of God was upon Christ. That's why there was darkness. He bore it for you. He bore it for me. All the darkness. And then, He died on the cross for everyone. That's the cross. And therefore, He take away whatever divisions. He take away whatever wrath or whatever self-centeredness. He take away. He gave us His mercy, His love, His kindness for everybody. He slew it away. And He's not ashamed to call us His brother or His sister. This is the message of the good news. And I hope that each day, when you leave your home, or when you wake up, remind yourself about this truth. Yes, I've sinned. I'm terrible. I'm down. But yet God has worked with it, lift me up with His mercy, with His death. He bore the cross for us. And I'm not just to station there to people to see. I'm here to do good works. That will tear down barrier between me and people around. We are all with let us pray together. Let's bow our heads. Invite the musicians. I'm going to give two invitations today if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you recognize that you need His forgiveness. You recognize that you need God's mercy. You can invite Him into your life. And he promised to come into your life. If today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you want to know Him for the first time, you can raise your hand. Anyone?
second invitations, those of you who have known the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you're feeling like me. You feel like you're a bum, you're a failure, you've done things that you are not proud about, or you should have, you should have done things that you... You think that you should have done, but you didn't do it. You feel like a failure, and you don't like yourself. And you want to be affirmed again. You're reminded about what God has done for you. If that's who you are, can you raise your hand? Yes, I see your hand. Any more? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Any more? Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for those who have raised their hand, Father. I do not know what happened in their lives. You know, and we all know. Certain times in life, Lord, we blew it, or we could have done certain things. We just feel bad about ourselves. We feel that we are so terrible. But I thank you that today you remind us again that good, you give us life. You are so proud of us. You raise us up with us, and then you are sit. You make us sit right next to you. You honor us. You rejoice over us. Christ's righteousness is now ours. Therefore, Lord, we have that strength to face whatever challenges, whatever that come each day. We don't look at ourselves as a failure, but we look at ourselves as one that is you are proud of because of Christ. And I want to thank you for this. And I want to just pray for those Lord who raised their hand today, that God, you will come personally affirm this truth in their hearts, so that God, they will leave this place change, change because of what you have done. You took on God's wrath so that we can enjoy God's joy, and we thank you for this, and we worship you. Thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Let us rise. Let's sing this song. To appreciate, to be grateful to God for His gift. See you.
sins are upon you. Thank you that God in your great love, your rich and mercy, in your grace and in your kindness, you just bestow upon us. And now, Lord, we thank you that we are alive in you. We are raised up with you. We are seated with you. And I want to just pray that all of us will go through life, Father, recognizing this truth so that, God, we are ready to be your masterpiece to do good works with the people around us. Even as we study, Lord, the later part of Ephesians, we will continue to personally make choices to put on this new self to be your instrument to do good works to people around so that they will see how good you are. Thank you, Lord. I pray that today we will leave this place. We will boast about your goodness. We will boast about you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.